If you like sports talk with absolutely no sports talk, then welcome back to the Just Not Sports podcast. This is the show where a couple guys who work in sports talk to the people who play and cover sports about anything they like, Just Not Sports. On today's show, we're going to talk to Duke legend and ESPN analyst Jay Williams about his very revealing new book and his amazing sense of style. And we're also going to break down the SI Swimsuit Edition, which used to be called Sexist, but now is just otherwise known as clickbait. My, how times change. I am your co-host, Brad Burke. I am a sports marketer in Chicago. With me in the studio, staring at me with the eyes and fire of a thousand warriors, and hoping I shorten his intro this week, is a leading sports media strategist, for who formerly of the University of Colorado. On this bullshit again. The Green Bay Packers and many global sports brands. It's Adam Willard. Adam, how are you today? Good. I'm proud to have done all those things. Thanks. You should be. You should be. And mm-hmm. also on the phone, our other co-host tuning in via satellite in scenic Brooklyn, New York, the Emmy-winning sports producer known as Gareth Hughes. Gareth, how are you? Good. I am also the six-time producer of the New England Patriots from sideline to shoreline cheerleader calendar special. So I think I have a few things to say about the swimsuit edition, or clickbait, as it's also known. Oh, Gareth, I have plenty of questions about your swimsuit, uh, your swimsuit uh, special editing, because I, I do have some technical questions about how they actually do this. So I don't like to think about the words swimsuit and Gareth at all together. He looks great in a speedo. <laughs> Gareth and I were on the swim team together. We got kicked off for snapping too many speedos. Are you serious? No. <laughs> no, uh, we were not on the swim team. <laughs> we were not kicked off for snapping too many speedos. Oh, man. You guys go way back, don't you? We do go way back. Also, yeah. going way back, way back, our amazing producer extraordinaire, Mr. Joe Reed. Joe, when was the first time you saw the Swimsuit Edition? And Man. we didn't give him a microphone. Nothing. You can't answer. America, hashtag, get Joe a mic. Oh, I saw it on my first smartphone two years ago. Yeah. There are devices that can record sound. We should look producer extraordinaire who doesn't want to be heard. You are Fred Norris times 10. People who do want to be heard are our commenters, our listeners, the beautiful and unique sparkle ponies in the words of Chris Cluey, the renaissance man and former NFL punter who provides the theme music for this show. Adam, I normally do this part. You told me this week you got something special cooking, so let me sit back, let me crack the knuckles, and regale us with your awesome Awesome comment. I'm glad go. you said that. And when I said you guys go way back, that was related to what's about to come uh, up here. So those of yeah, you who listened to episode uh, 16 of the podcast may have heard a little something at the end uh, just as a test. And sure enough, that test worked. Last oh, night. you got a phone call. I've got a text here. This says, Adam. Driving through a parking lot on a work trip while listening, and listening's in quotes, I don't know why, to the end of Just Not Sports episode 16, I went to high school with Gareth and Brad, asked them about hanging out in the pool hall. I enjoy the podcast. Keep it up. Matt Bartow. Matt Bartow, welcome to Just Not Sports. I love it. 
I like that too. Wow. I, actually, I was almost I was I was almost hoping you wouldn't say who it was. We had to kind of figure this out, but Matt Bartow, we're we're happy you're listening. We thank you. And Adam, you know what you got to do now. Well, I got to go to Strange Cargo, make up some, some t-shirts. t-shirts. And I figure we can all have one. And your buddy Matt, and maybe your family. I got a Rashad Jennings autograph in my office if you wanted me to send that to him, too. I know Matt Bartow is not a Giants fan, but Rashad's a very nice guy. He's into archery. I think it'd be a good yeah, good mix. Right. <laughs> um, while we're at it, I was thinking of sending some T-shirts to my family, but I don't know that they actually listen to the podcast. So uh, as another test, Mom and Dad, if you would like your Mother's Day and Father's Day gifts, respectively, this year... Um, reply that you actually heard this podcast. Thanks, Mom and Dad. Uh, it's on a thing called iTunes. I promise to show you how it works when I come back. <laughs> yeah, my mom does not you listen. She does really not know nice iTunes. Happy birthday. You had a really nice happy birthday to your dad last week, man. And uh, it was actually funny. I have a lot of things I want to say about Bart's pool hall, but I don't know. Uh, I figured... I'm going to risk the fact that my mom told me that she and my dad listened to the podcast every weekend on the porch while drinking a glass of wine. Um, Bart's pool hall was the first place I ever saw a stripper. And it was the place where I learned that a rooster does not just crow once in the morning. It crows all damn day. It does. I learned that on a farm, (laughs) on on a house in the, in the, in in the middle of nowhere, John Berenswig, if the Berenswig family is listening, roosters crow all damn day. Day. And if you're camping and someone's got a rooster nearby, yep. it is awful. Don't camp. Don't, Don't camp, camp ever. <laughs> Don't do anything outside. Always be in air conditioning. Interesting. So the pool hall, you learned about tits and cocks. <laughs> hey, well done. Slow clap, Adam. We are keeping it classy. All right, well. Time to move on. Thank you, Matt Barto. Thank you for all of our commenters. We tell you, go to our iTunes, rate us, review us, subscribe. Let's get on to our hammers. On this show, we don't just invite people onto the show. We publicly invite them. These are people who have expressed an interest in something other than sports and therefore are legally obligated to come on Just Not Sports and talk to us about it. So, Adam, who do you want to slam the hammer to this week? Well, this guy's kind of been on my radar for a while, but now I have an additional reason to invite him on a f- first episode of Just Not Sports. We talked about the cinematic classic He Got Game yes. featuring Ray Allen. Um, Ray Allen, not officially retired from the NBA, according to him, is looking for things to do. So while I would love to talk to him about his role as Jesus Shuttlesworth, I also want to talk to him about a new venture he has in Miami, which is an organic fast food joint. Really? Oh, yeah. Now, I didn't get... I knew I knew you would like that, Gareth. Uh, now... <laughs> Brooklyn now, location opening 2017, bro. Let's go. I always think it's fascinating that one of the businesses that athletes uh, tend to invest in are restaurants. Um, they traditionally haven't done great, or the food isn't good, but... Ray Allen is a guy who was known in, in the NBA for being healthy. He kind of started um, the paleo trend yeah, right. uh, that was happening with a lot of athletes a few years ago. I didn't think he needed to lose weight, but he was getting later in his career. He was like 210, 215, got down to like 190, 195 to prolong his career. 
Uh, LeBron followed suit, as did Dwayne Wade. Um, so I'm interested to talk to him about his approach to the to, – because organic fast food does seem a bit pretty strategic to me. So I would like to find out what that is all about. Well, let's do it over lunch. I think he should send us the food, and then let's, uh, let's get it done. Or let's road trip, man. To Miami? Done. Yeah. We can get a work expense on that. <laughs> sure. Well, not now, but, you know, we'll just figure something out. I actually might have a new client in Miami. We'll talk. All right, we will talk. Gareth, who's your hammer this week? Who's going to slam it down? Who's coming on the show? All right, we're going to stay in the NBA, and my hammer goes back to last week's episode when we had Jeremy Evans on. And uh, I'm a big art guy, and uh, I really want is a two-part hammer, one in the sports world and one not in the sports world. They're all living, though, Brad. Don't worry. Uh, I would like to, I would like to talk to Amari Stoudemire who has been very outspoken about his his art collection and trying to encourage more athletes to spend their money on art. And we could get into art from the aesthetic side, as well as the investment side. He's got a big presence here in New York, the world center of the art scene. And, uh, the armory week is coming up a big, art fair here in the city. So I would love to talk to Amari Stoudemire. Interestingly enough, Ray Allen, uh, I don't know if he's still active, but I know during his playing days in Milwaukee, he had, um, he was active in the art community, um, funding galleries. I don't know if he actually did any art himself, but uh, there we go. Full circle. You know who else is really big into funding galleries? Um, Cisco, the rapper. Are you serious? No, huh? I'm not serious. I'm not serious. I just I don't know why that popped in my head. <laughs> Interesting. Um, Keith Rivers, the old uh, uh, a retired um, former linebacker, I do believe is a is an art collector. And Gareth Amari, I was I was gonna say the minute you said his name, I was gonna say his fashion line because I think Amari does have a a fashion line that he uh, either started or was starting for a while. So plenty to talk to with Amari. He's coming on the show. Well, dude, the the crossover between art and fashion is kind of infinite Vanessa Beecroft who just did Kanye's fashion show in MSG began as an installation artist, things like uh, here in New York, you know, that is, uh, you can, we should, the hammer goes down to Amari on both counts, art and fashion. Cause it's all the same thing. Aesthetics. We want to talk to Amari Stoudemire about aesthetics. Done and done. All right. My hammer, I'm going to stick with basketball, but go in a slightly different direction. We're here, Adam and I are in Chicago. The, the WNBA's team is the Chicago Sky. And Elena Deladon is their star player, um, MVP of the league last year. Great story going back to her days at Delaware with her sister. If you haven't uh, Googled that, Google it right now. I have a daughter. She's two and a half. I'm teaching her the art of Nerf hoop. And you know that thing where you're, you're like shooting a Nerf hoop and you just go like, oh, Kobe, you know, like Steph Curry and you're shooting distance. I'll also throw in a lot of, um, you know, Della Don, Courtney Vandersloot, you know, some of my favorite uh, WMEA players as well. So I'm filming my daughter and I'm like, hey, can you, can you make a basket? I'm going to send it to mommy. And as she rolls the ball into the hoop, it's like about, you know, two feet off the ground. She goes, Della Don. And I got on film and I shared it with Elena and she instantly got back. Uh, to me and said how cute it was. And then next thing I know, I got uh, Phil Thompson from the Chicago Tribune calling me about it. ESPNW wrote about it. Just like baby Della Don kind of took off for about four hours in the uh, news cycle. So 
Uh, Elena, we'd love to have you on the show, not to talk about my daughter, uh, who will be guarding you in the finals in 18 years. Um, cause she's going right. She's going right pro man. No, no college for her. Maybe one year in Europe. <laughs> no, that's it. No pressure. Yeah. Um, but I'd love to actually have her on. She's a big Adele fan. And, um, I heard, I've seen her when the new album came out. Who kinda, isn't? Yeah, exactly. Tweeting about it. <laughs> so we've already invited Courtney Vandersloot, her teammate in Chicago to come on and talk Bieber. Maybe we can get Elena on, talk about Adele and, uh, and, you know, maybe my, my daughter will come on and talk some smack, get in her head a little bit, you know? 18 years, it's coming. I like that. I, I, I do love that, though, as the, uh, as the parent of two. I want to invite her on, not to talk about my daughter. But if we end up talking about my daughter and I share a few more pictures, that might happen because that is how all parents are. I'm guilty as charged. That is correct. My Stay with my personal Instagram, which is basically like a 24-hour feed on a two-year-old. Um, all right. Well, if you got someone you want us to talk to, email us, justnotsports at gmail.com. Hit us up on Twitter, at justnotsports. Let us know who you want us to talk to. Also, if you remember, if you go to our iTunes and you leave us a comment with your hammer, we will read it on the show automatically, and we will reach out to those people's publicists to get them on. We'll also let you ask a question if that happens. So, Hey, and if you know any of these people <laughs> and you're listening and you haven't reached out on our up. behalf, fuck you. <laughs> we're going to take a quick <laughs> with that. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to go ahead and check the explicit on this week's pod. We'll be right back with Jay Williams. Very revealing interview. Jay gets very candid about his new book, talking about the aftermath of his accident, how he dug himself out from a personal rock bottom. But we're also, it's not its not all going to be serious. You've probably heard Jay talking about the book uh, previously in some other interviews. We get heavy into his sense of style too. Everything from the art of uh, how to wear your jeans over high tops to the uh, how to pick out the right color suit for the right occasion. So you definitely want to stay tuned. It's a great interview. We'll be right back. Oh, now look at my boy. It's about to start. Feel it, my boy, with the sound of your heart. Joining us now is Jay Williams. At Duke, Jay was one of the most electrifying players in college basketball. He led the Blue Devils to the 2001 national title, and he dominated the ACC so badly, they still troll Scott Van Pelt with his highlights on SportsCenter to this day. A motorcycle accident halted Jay's NBA career, but after going through hell, he has rebounded. Today, he's a lead college hoops analyst on ESPN, and his new book, Life is Not an Accident, chronicles his rise from the crippling depression that followed his injuries. You know, on this show, we talk a lot about athletes being people first, athletes second. So we want to talk to Jay absolutely about his inspiring journey to find purpose away from sports. And while we got him on the phone, we're also going to talk to him about his sense of style. Jay is clearly one of the most fashionable members of the media working today. So Jay, thank you for joining us. Please tell me you're wearing those gold dress shoes I've seen you sport on Instagram. Those are one of my favorites. I'll, I will send you a picture of where you can get those from. Those are pretty <laughs> gnarly too, and they're in New York, and they're cost efficient. Ah, oh, I love them. I love them. And 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 look, no, this is no snark for me. This isn't me like being a smartass. I uh, we are big fans of your style, and I want to get into that in a minute. But I want to start with the book. On this show, we talk a lot about athletes are are humans first, they're athletes second, and I and you you start. Um, it, clearly the book is, is so revealing, is so honest. And you start with a quote um, from Marianne Williamson saying, as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated, for, liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. 
I'm curious, now that the book has been out, now that you've heard from people who have read it, how much are they telling you that reading your book has inspired them or helped them through their own battles with depression or other personal um, problems? Well, I think it's starting the conversation with people. I, I think that's the that's the foremost and the most important part of my story is that I, I've, I've been able to you know, have so many different conversations with people that are starting the process in their own right. And you know, look, when, when you're in the middle of writing a book, you, I was trying to lay things out there and, you know, be as honest and authentic as possible. And I think in the process, I've opened myself up to others for them to reveal their struggles and their difficulties in their life. And it's been, it's been, <laughs> some things have been saddening. Some things have been uplifting. Um, some people are still in very dark places and, you know, my only thing is I, like, I'm, I'm not a, uh, a therapist. I'm not somebody who's been qualified to help people out, but I, I listen to their stories and I try to offer advice and, you know, they always say, well, Jay, how have you figured it all out? And I said, well, I've figured it all out. I think we're, we're all still in the process of trying to learn how to figure it out. And these are just the steps I took in order to get to where I am today, where I'm able to talk about it. And, um, you know, still, I feel healed from it, but, you know, I still have things that have lingered in the past. We always go back to these moments and it's not uh, as easy as it being black or white. Uh, we just have to find comfort in that gray area. Was the process of writing the book and reliving everything in so much detail, was it painful before it was therapeutic or did you feel a sense of catharsis <laughs> the entire way? You know, it was beyond painful at first. Mm -hmm. And, it, you know, look, I, I never... <laughs> it's these always happen with some of these issues or whenever we're faced with a quote unquote accident or a serious moment of adversity in our lives, there's a tendency for all of us to psychologically push that incident to the back of our mind in order to try to move on from it. And think about so many people out there never deal with their stuff, right? Um, you just say, well, that that happened and you know, they'll be quick to talk about it or they, they won't mention it at all. They're like, it never happened. And that's exactly what I did with my accident. I compartmentalized it. I put it to the back of my mind and act like it never happened. And even though I was reminded of it from other people, uh, they took me back to that space, but I never took myself back to that moment. And to go back and reaccount details of how, you know, the bike actually spun out from beneath me. Mm -hmm. What I said to Kevin that day before I actually got on the bike, and also what was even more embarrassing to reaccount um, stories from friends of when I was high, you know, right. when I was addicted to Oxycontin living in New York city and some of the things I said to people and uh, you know, you're thinking to yourself, that's not me. That's not who I am as a person, but that was who I was as, as a person at that given moment and uh, coming to the, the grips of reality with that and saying, okay, that's who I was then. That's not who I am now. I consider there to be two types of athletic memoirs. The first is the really raw and candid one that is grounded in introspection and true self-reflection. The other one is I'm going to just get a ghostwriter and sugarcoat my whole life and be as boring as possible. You clearly fall in the first camp. <laughs> um, you clearly fall in the first camp, but what was the journey to get there? Because I think you've been candid that first drafts, initial drafts were not what the finished product was in terms of tone and how revealing you were. It was, uh, it was a step-by-step -step process. 
It wasn't something that I initially said, hey, I'm just going to come out and, and be real with everything. It was me, me initially writing things down. And then, well, when I first started doing it, I, I wrote my first draft. And let's just say I wasn't necessarily too proud of my first draft. And then I decided to write a completely different draft where I was like, you know, what? I'm just going to tell everything. And you're holding these two drafts up in the air and you're like, well, wait a second. One is most definitely the athlete memoir that, you know, you're worried about how you're going to affect people. How am I going to affect my mother and father? How am I going to affect my coach? You know, how am I going to affect people's opinions of me when I subject myself to alcoholism, to drug addiction, uh, to talk about the lifestyle or how the parties were, uh, who I was at, because look, man, it, the, the fact of the matter was when I was 21, I had this clean cut image and, you know, who am I to knock somebody that didn't want to maintain that. Right. And, uh, then it got to a point where I just, I got tired of playing it safe, you know? And I, I realized that I got to the point where, how am I, am I writing this book for me or am I writing this book to help others go through their stuff? And the only way I can help others get through how they're going through their stuff in life is by being truly honest with myself. Mm-hmm. So if I can't be honest with myself, how can I be honest with the world? And that's what led me to the point of just doing it the right way. And we're glad you did. I mean, the book is really expansive. You talk about everything from um, your family life to your relationship with coaches and teammates and clearly the accident and um, your journey back. You know, you talk about feeling handcuffed to the misery that you were feeling after the accident. And I think this is an important theme we're seeing in sports. A couple of weeks ago, Ronda Rousey talked about after her loss to Holly Holm, she felt suicidal. This is a, a woman who seemingly to the average fan has everything. She's hosting Saturday Night Live. She feels suicidal. After your accident, you talk about that feeling of loss. And you recount very clearly saying out loud, I threw it all away. Um, I'm just curious what you feel like was your journey to finding a purpose beyond your sport and, 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 a, and just who you are as a human being and how you relate that to other athletes who may have similar feelings now, but don't necessarily either have the ability to talk about them or the people around them who are pushing them to go beyond what's expected of them in the sports world. Um, you know, first off to, to Rhonda, I can completely relate. Because, you know, I think one of the things that makes all successful people are how competitive they are, right? And unfortunately, we associate our own value with what have we done for you lately? And for me, you know, what I had done for people lately was be involved in this accident where people started to define my character with this event that occurred. And it took me a long time to learn how to separate the two and how to get to the point where, okay, look, this accident happened, this event happened in my life, but this event doesn't define me. I define myself by how I pick myself up and how I move forward. Because this life is all about looking forward through that prism of being present in the moment and also looking forward to what's next. And I was, I, I, I've met so many people and continue to meet people that are handcuffed to their own misery and they can't get out of their own way. And it wasn't, in, it wasn't until I was able to say, okay, 
you know, I have a career now. I put my head down. I've worked. I also have to stop myself from working so damn hard. You know, it's yeah. it, not in a bad way, but, you know, sometimes you, you spend so much time climbing because you're angry about what you've lost that you've never pay attention to how far you climbed. And uh, for me, it was like, okay, wow, I'm, I'm here. Like I've actually, I've accomplished this and I could not turn that switch off, but I can take a second to pause and be thankful for where I am and be appreciative. And I don't think a lot of people get a chance to do that. They're too busy climbing. I think that's a great insight. And clearly we, you know, we know you from TV now uh, as part of ESPN's game day crew. Um, great show, great, great atmosphere. I mean, it's, it's, it's really a, a joy to watch. We love the game day franchise. We also know you're transitioning a little bit. We all know your sense of style from the show. Jay, this is not us just um, blowing smoke. We think we rank you in our top 10 of most stylish media personalities. Um, and I'm, I'm curious a little bit about how you develop that sense of style and how you carry that personal flair onto the show and, and being a media personality. Um, because it's an interesting balance, right? Like not everyone can, can, can project a sense of self on TV without it either going horribly wrong or without kind of getting dulled down by um, the sort of network people that don't want them to, um, you know, stand out. Yeah. Um, well, I've always loved style. <laughs> so for me, I, I'm constantly surrounded by like living in New York city really helps with that. Right. Right. Because I, it's not like I, I get a chance to have, I get a chance to pick pretty much like a smorgasbord, right? Like I, <laughs> this is really bad, but I also believe like I watched my father grow up, growing up and my dad worked for American Express in New York city. And he would always leave early in the morning around five fifteen to catch the train. And I was always up early to go to school. And I remember sitting with my dad and, and learning how to do a Windsor knot, learning how to do all these different tie knots. Yep. And I would watch my dad be meticulous in the mirror with the way he dressed. And remember, finally, I got old enough. I asked him, I was like, hey, why are, you, why are you so meticulous? Why do you dress the way you do? And he always said to me, son, you have to dress for the job you want, not for the job you have. Yep. And I always found it to be so fascinating. And ever since that point, I started to pay attention to what people wore. And, and look, I have a, a New York City edgier style to me, too. So I, I, I go back and forth between that. Um, but also like I pay attention to like, I am the guy who on a Saturday, if I have a free Saturday, I will walk around Soho for hours, get a coffee and pick things out. Like I'm not the guy who I, I'm, I'm a one-stop shopper. Right. I will get a piece that's a nice piece. And then I will also pick up pieces from target. I will, <laughs> I yep. mismatch, you know, and, and, and it's fascinating because you're like, Oh, how much is your, your suit costs. I'm like, well, I got this vest from suit supply. I got these <laughs> pants that are, you know, YSLs uh, or, you know, St. Laurent, whatever the hell you want to call it. And then I have this, this jacket that is just like a, a regular blazer that I found at a, at a trendy shop that it's used. And right. you're like, what? You're like it does. I'm like, yeah, I just, I put it all together. And I, I like finding pieces instead of just saying, Hey, I'm going to get everything with, a, a designer, you know, I'm not that yeah. kind of guy. I, I work for it. There's a great line on, I don't remember, I don't know if you remember the show, happy endings, uh, Damon Wayne's junior was on it and he would talk, someone asked him, he was wearing a really crazy mismatched outfit and he just said, look, they're colors. They don't bite. 
and I, I, you've got a great sense of color. I think <laughs> you, you you do a really good job, kind of mixing whether it's a, a whether it's a vest, whether it's a, a pop of color on the tie or or whatnot. I'm just curious, like, what's the key to pulling off? Um, colors that seem a little bit more daring because everyone who goes on TV knows you got a blue suit, you got a black suit, you might have a brown suit or something if you're covering the Derby. But you seem a little bit more fearless in in how you put your ensembles together. All right, so this is bad too. Like I I stalk things like men's fashion posts on Instagram, like menswear, uh, real men's fashion. Like I'm all over that kind of stuff where I'll, I'll just look at different outfits and different pieces. And I think the key is just owning it. I love owning right. it. So for example, I had, I had this uh, really light blazer on the other day and, you know, first off I, I work with guys who are in their mid fifties. So they always joke with me like, how do you wear that? And I just, well, I don't act like I'm wearing anything that flamboyant. Right. right. Like, so I, I think it's all about how you can blend in colors that, you own and that you feel comfortable in because it's first off, you know, you, you break the notes when somebody doesn't feel comfortable with the way they dress, you naturally sense that like, Oh, he's trying too hard. But if you own it and you just say, hey, look, this is who I am. This is me. And you're able to blend it together the right way. I think people find comfort in your confidence in your approach to that. And I think it's about having personality that matches that. My personality isn't one where I want to overwhelm people. My personality is very much like I, I'm from New Jersey, New York, but I also have this, Southern hospitality to me because I spent time in the South. Yep. I have a home in Durham, North Carolina. So it's the combination of the two where it's, it's not, Hey, I'm running circles around you. It's, Hey, let's sit down. Let's have a conversation. And, you know, and just, and owning that moment. Yeah. I think confidence is a huge piece. I think fit is a big piece. I've always said that a suit, a suit could be any color. And if it fits right, no one's going to give you that hard of a time. Would you agree with that? Or <laughs> it's a little bit more complicated. I would. I no, no. I, I look. I, I get all my suits. I, I get stuff tailored. So I, this is great. I have, I have a, a little lady down in Chinatown, New York, who's unbelievable. And what I do is every time I, every time I get like a new piece, or you know, it doesn't even matter what it is. A, a new jacket, if it's a, if it's a shirt that I want to take in, I automatically go to her, and she's great. She'll just she'll fit it the right way. And I'm all about. I work out a ton too, so. You know, being an athlete, sometimes my my weight has a tendency to fluctuate uh, a little bit. So, but I, I like things that are able to show curves. I think curves tell a lot about people, right? Um, and it's not only things where you know some of my friends like stuff to be just like one one line direction. I'm like, no, like I like to show that hey, I've been I've been working out and trying to do abs. Um, I've, been, <laughs> I've been working on my back a little bit. So to to show that structure, like I like that. I like stuff that forms to the body um, because I also spend time in the gym and I, I want to be able to showcase, Hey, like I take pride in working out. I like that. I, I mentioned the shoes off the top. Uh, what's the key to wearing shoes that come off as a bold compliment to an outfit as opposed to just what the hell do you have on your feet? This doesn't work. Well, I, I like shoes that have like a, a full representation, right? So mm-hmm. I, I'm big on that. The, the shoes are, the shoes are like the foundation of the outfit for me. Uh, just because I, I, I've noticed the way people, like when you, when you first meet somebody, the first thing they do, I mean, I've noticed this in particularly, my, I'm around my mom a lot. So I'm always around her friends, right? So when I was younger, I always feel like, you know, women are always, or men, they look you and I and they shake your hand. And then I naturally see this bottom to up look 
where it's like they look down like, okay, like, all right, like I see how this guy's put together. So, you know, one of my best friends is a guy named Martel Francois. I follow him on Instagram. He's great too. We go shopping together. And it's always about, I think, finding that right compliment of like complimentary piece where it, it highlights the outfit, but it doesn't take away from the outfit. It blends into the outfit. So, you know, my shoe game has gone from everywhere from, you know, Ted Baker to the boot in New York to Magnani, uh, which is Spanish style shoe to uh, GH Bass and Company. Uh, it's really all over the map, but it's about finding the right shoe that has the right top. And also, I've, I've, uh, I'm big on guys who keep shoes clean. Um, I know it's going to sound kind of corny, but like when I put on shoes in the studio, like I, I get taps put on my shoes, so I don't. I don't get the, the, the soles worn out when I walk with them. Right. Uh, I'm to, you know, every time I'm at the airport, I'm going to stop and I'm going to spend $10 on getting my shoes buffed and cleaned. I, I, I'm big on that. I don't like it. One of the things that bother me, once again, it's my dad coming to be meticulous about the small details of things. Um, I'm a firm believer on how you represent yourself. It is, is how you will be represented, how people will view you. So, I like attention to detail. I like things to be sharp. I like for things to be polished. And I, that's kind of, that fits into my personality. My dad growing up, um, always said he looked down at someone's shoes at a business meeting and if they were buffed and cleaned, he always felt like it was someone he could trust, which means my dad would, he's no longer with us, but if he was, he'd be so disappointed that I'm wearing the rattiest <laughs> shoes at work. So <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you, you picked up lessons and you, you incorporated them into your future life. I have ignored them. <laughs> But I'm not going to say that also I think this is where my style changes is when I am on air, it's one way, but there are, I mean, there are times too where, like I, I'm the athlete of me comes out, right? So like I, I will have a, on a pair of Jordans or if I, if I go for a run and I'm working out, I'm not going to wear like, oh, my shoes have to be clean. Like I, there's that dirty side of me that's the training side of me as well. So I can, I can totally understand that. Plus that's New York, right? Like New York has that know, trendier kind of edgier style to it too. So yeah. I understand it. Yeah. My last question, when, when you're wearing high tops, I, if I'm wearing them, I, I let my jeans kind of roll over the top of them, but you would consider that to be a huge no, no, right? You got to mm-hmm. show off the hardware, right? I, I mix it up actually. Uh, okay. I, uh, sometimes I, I, I feel like a little cross. I'll have one leg that's over the, like, the shoe actually, like the top of it. And then I'll just kind of, Subtly tuck the other one in, not a lot, but just kind of act like I didn't really care and just let it kind of hang over so you can see. You're letting your you secrets I mean? out, though. So you're like, letting your secrets back. out. <laughs> well, you're asking me for my secrets. That's, that's the <laughs> I love uh, it, though. I love it. Like I, I'm, I'm big in those styles where it's like, hey, don't fly too hard. You know, so it's not like I'm sitting here in the mirror and I'm like, okay, how's it look? Like I literally will just fold it over and then I'll just tuck it into so the lip of the shoe can pop out and be like, all right, whatever, that's, there it is. Yeah. So nice and easy, yes. Well, these are all valuable tips. Our listeners are going to appreciate it. And um, we, we love following you on Instagram because you've got great, uh, again, great personal style, great sense of style. We love the book, uh, It's Life is Not an Accident, a memoir, a reinvention. It's available at bookstores, available on, Am- on Amazon. We, we think it's one of the most revealing probably important athlete memoirs of the last few years. I, we really encourage our listeners to go check it out. And then they should follow you on Twitter at Real J Williams uh, and watch for you on ESPN College Game Day um, as we get ready to march. So any last thing, any any big suit surprises we got uh, you got planned for some of the big March Madness games? 
I got a, I got a, I'm big on having cost efficient suits. Yep. You know, I guess spending a lot of around athletes over the last few years, I would see uh, all these different stylists come in and be like, Hey, this suit costs a thousand dollars. This one costs $1,500. I'm like, I am not spending that kind of money in the suit. So I'm big at, I do stuff with suit supply. I love suit supply. That's like my spot to go to in New York. So all my suits are like cost efficient. We have a, have a couple really good ones that are coming out for March Madness. So the journey is just beginning. Uh, <laughs> and I think that's the whole thing about TV. And no Carolina blue in that closet, right? Oh, I, I, I'll rock the Carolina blue. I have, I have no problem with the Carolina blue in my outfit. <laughs> I, I do not. I am not biased just towards Duke Blue at all. Trust me. <laughs> well, we love it. So, well, Jay, thank you for making the time. Uh, best of luck and enjoy March Madness. All right. Thank you so much, man. Nice talking to you. Today's show is sponsored by The Weatherneck. We spend a lot of time around athletes and super active people, and two things really stand out to us. They love staying active outdoors all year round, and they need quality equipment to do that. Enter The Weatherneck. The Weatherneck is a modern take on the bandana that's quick, quiet, clean, and comfortable, and it's designed specifically for performance outdoors. It features high-tech fabrics and powerful magnets that make it today's outdoor bandana, and it's comfortable. The center mesh section allows for full breath when active outdoors, and the wicking fabrics eliminate the nasty soaking wetness that can bunch up in fleeces. Everyone knows what it's like to put on like a knit scarf, try to be on a bike out in the cold. It's just awful. Your face gets super wet. And it's super convenient. It removes in one second with one hand. That's amazingly helpful if you're on the bike, on the run, or just outdoors doing your thing. I know the guys who created this. They are super smart, super passionate, the types of people I would trust. Go to theweatherneck.com for more information or to place an order, theweatherneck.com. Well, my laptop's in front of me. I just booted up si.com. And this is the one time a year when SI really stands for NSF, <laughs> FW, uh, not safe for work, because they've got images of scantily clad women up on the top. And it's not just, oh, the SI swimsuit edition came out. It is like a cottage industry for SI now. Every day, new, new models, new athletes, new body paint, new everything. The SI swimsuit edition has evolved with it's a staple of media that's been around for decades but it's certainly evolved with media it's now much more of an ongoing part of the magazine they see different faces different personalities in it so today we wanted to just talk a little bit about the legacy of the si swimsuit edition how it's evolved with the times and of course athletes role in it adam you told me you've got copious notes on this start us off buddy well so here's my first thought i think one of the big news items um, to hit uh, this generation. Let me start over. One of the big news items to come out recently was that Playboy was doing away with nudity in its magazine because you can go anywhere on the internet and find um, naked women and any kind of pornography you want to find. My question is, the same can be said generally of women in swimsuits. So how is Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition still selling like it's selling? Well, they did have the the cartoon ladies of Archer in this year's episode. I just saw that online, which I just, okay. Like, it's a cartoon. Gareth, what's your take? I think that's a good point. Like, the SI Swimsuit Edition is not needed anymore in the age of, as Drew Megary said, of all the faults for the, the decade of the 2000s, it was the decade where porn came to his phone. So, 
why do why does this still hold some sort of cultural resonance, and why do you think people still tune in? Well, I mean, first of all, I think it's funny that we're talking about this at all because it was if just not sports is the title and the guiding ethos of our show. Why not? Uh, where's the sports was always the question about this. Like, why is it appropriate that a magazine like Sports Illustrated is dedicating itself to this sort of smut once a year? Um, it seems like such a like quaint argument now uh, that uh, Drew Maggery's phone could become a repository for that much pornography. All of our phones, but he's the one who said it. Uh, I just think at this point, it's something that's not going to go away until an older generation stops buying it. I don't, or brands stop supporting it. I think that it exists completely outside the realm of sports, which makes it inbounds for us to talk about at the same time. It has, I think it has, I don't know that it has much to do with, I, I, I don't, I don't know. There's sort of, there's a part of me that's like, Oh, that's cute. I don't know why it still exists and it'll probably go on for a little while longer. And then 10 years from now, a bean counter at Condé Nast, will take a look at it and then say, Oh, this boondoggle to seven different continents with all the most expensive camera equipment. How about we kill it? And that will happen. So I, I think I know why it exists and it's because of Kate Upton. I think a couple years ago, this thing was about to phase out with the rise of internet pornography. There was really no need for it. I think sports has become so ubiquitous. It's not like people needed a break from sports talk. They can't get enough of it. They consume it all the time. When Kate Upton reestablished herself as like the face of this and the world couldn't get enough of Kate Upton, I think this thing got a new relevance that it had been lacking for several years. And since then, I think they've learned that they have a new blueprint, which is access. So I know Kate's not in this year's issue, but- They've gone heavier into let's go see athletes in body paint. Let's go like Ronda Rousey's in this year's episode. Let's try. Let's get headlines by showing off different um, sizes of women, which I do think is is totally fine. And I know there's been debate about whether it's actually noble or whether it's publicity stunt. I don't want to get into all that. What my point is, is that SI realizes that it's not about, oh, I can see women almost naked. It's about I'm seeing a very specific woman that I'm interested in almost naked and that has enabled them to remain relevant and then to your point as long as it sells they'll keep doing it but that gawker factor of well what does she look like in body paint only works if it's a specific body paint that's my thought you mean a specific (laughs) person yeah yeah i just think yeah it's a you want to see kate upton you can't see it unless you're hacking your phone so you got to go somewhere and that's where they're going much like much uh, similar to the reason that uh, Just Not Sports is the number one podcast in the world, um, people see an athlete's name they know, but something unexpected about them, and they're instantly drawn in. Who knew that Amon Green liked Batman so much to the point that he got himself a role in the new movie? Exact same thing. That's right. And Gareth, I got a question for you on this, because it's a technical side of this that I find fascinating. Help us break down the, what would you say, the Cinemax special that you create you've created in your own world. It's not it's not really Cinemax, but tell us a little bit. You've done a you've done a, a you've done shoots with cheerleaders before NFL cheerleaders before. So um, help us understand what it's like to produce this type of content. Well, I have to give them credit. Like I might argue against the need for this sort of thing, or it, it, I might say the word quaint to go along with it. 
There's a, certainly an argument to be made that we should not be allowed to talk about this by the bylaws of our show because these women are definitely athletes. The, the I've done some work with the Patriots cheerleaders over the years, and I've produced their uh, calendar television special every spring. I've never seen such a group of hardworking young women who are so aware of their bodies and everything that goes into it. They work out a ton. They're so aware of how they look, not just in a swimsuit, but at all times and how they present themselves. Um, I was actually really impressed with them as a group. And what's interesting about them though, that I don't think you'll get in sports illustrated is some of those girls have done a lot of modeling before and them doing a shoot is a really, um, it's an artistic thing and there's a real relationship between them and the camera. They know how to work a camera. They know how to pose. They know how to do all those things. And then your job as sort of a director becomes a lot easier and more fun. You can get more out of it. There's also a group of those girls. And this is something I don't think you get from the models in the swimsuit issue. At the same time, I think you might get it from some of the athletes, not all, uh, where there's, um, there's a bit of an amateur status to it. And so they're sort of learning as they go, how to pose, how to model and things like that. That can also be an interesting experience. That moment of revelation when anyone sees themselves looking that beautiful is always cool. Like if you can capture that, that moment where they see the still photo of how they looked after all the makeup, all the hair, the beautiful scenery in the backdrop, a professional photographer, that is always, in my mind, it's always been compelling video because there's, you're looking at a beautiful woman, but just sort of like a, uh, someone who's put so much work into their appearance and their body. And then they see the results pay off. Uh, that's, that's powerful. It's pretty cool to watch. And so for that reason, I would say, that part of the swimsuit issue will kind of never get old. That's why every morning my wife takes a Polaroid of myself so that I can see the Adonis in front of myself. Mm. <laughs> yeah, and Polaroids. we're going to cut that. Gareth, like that's like the technical side. Like what's the biggest like screw up that you've done on the side of, uh, on like those shoots? Like you always hear the horror stories about, Oh, you know, Kate Upton was in like freezing cold water because they wanted a sunset shot, but they didn't really plan accordingly. The shoots are miserable. The shoots are really (laughs) hard. I mean, like it's hot. Okay. A sunrise shoot. You're frequently up to get hair and makeup at three 30 in the morning and you're on a beach at five in the morning and you're staying there for two hours getting sand and salt water, like kind of shot up your butt as an enema. And then that same night, Oh, we're going to do a night shoot as well. So you're looking at a 16 hour day you know, there's hot sun in the middle. I, every friend I've met or every person I meet who I tell I do this, they all joke, oh, can I come along and be your PA? And I hold a bounce card. And the joke's gotten really old over the years. So whichever one of our listeners to follow up on the Matt Barto thing, if you want to write in and ask me to be a PA, we'll find something special to do there. I, you can log all the footage if you want when it's over. I mean, look, there's a lot of work that goes into it. There's a lot of work that goes into it on the smaller level that I've participated in this end. So the idea that, I mean, the work and the locations and the scouting and the man hours and the effort that Sports Illustrated puts into it, it's really a throwback to old school media where they spend that much money on something like this. 
What's your wife say when you were like, I'm going to Jamaica to film like cheerleaders for two weeks or whatever? Uh, she wasn't thrilled. At, she wasn't <laughs> thrilled about it at first, but she jokes about it now that I'm in my thirties and have two kids. She's like, they don't even see you anymore. <laughs> yeah, you are invisible. You know, like, invisible. Absolutely. Absolutely. You, so Adam, yeah, I like, yeah, I had a moment last year where I was talking to a girl and I turned to our uh, audio guy as soon as we finished and I said, she's closer in age to my daughter than she is to me. And that's where I stand now. Well, Gareth, that's just what makes you a creepy old man. <laughs> valid. <laughs> Very Invisible valid. old man for sure. Like, so does, does working on stuff like this give you a deeper appreciation of this, uh, Gareth, or do, do you still just kind of like shrug it off as, Oh, that's just the SI swimsuit edition. That's just what it is. Not to get too much into the the work side of what we do, uh, it's it's you know this is going to get industry talky, but I just remember somebody when I first started off on this saying, in TV in all these industries you got to go champagne to beer, and you know a few weeks back we were talking about what a privilege it was to work in sports and how great the Super Bowl was, and a few weeks I'll be working on the NCAA tournament. I've been to a million Final Fours, and there's also working on that which is just hard work, but. I think the key is to enjoy the process and uh, then it'll never get old. I'm sorry. Nobody tuned into this. Oh, sweet. Some good old fashioned swimsuit edition talk. And they're getting my musings on working in sports media. So um, apologies in advance or in hindsight for anybody who tuned in for this one. Yeah. And they're hearing how creepy you are and old. So that's beneficial too, for the show's oh, demographics. They've been hearing yeah, somebody that take it away me. and let's get back to like Kate <laughs> Upton talk. Yeah, exactly. We grew up in a situation when the, the swimsuit edition would show up at your door instead of on your laptop. And it was exciting as a teenage kid because, you know, it's easier than like trekking through the woods looking for, for porno. The, which is a real thing that people used to do. The, I guess uh, railroad tracks were always a popular location. <laughs> I guess the one thing, the one venture that I wish they would go to would be democratize, go back and democratize the um, men versus women stuff. I think ESPN, the magazine, has been far more effective with their body issue mm -hmm. in finding a different lens to look at. Um, the, the the form of the athlete. And and to me, I think that it's just as much of a news driver who they have in their cover. Uh, it's gawked at, but it, it always feels more... Artistic. Artistic, almost like scientific. Like, right. there's a kinesiology part of it that's like, I'm sure. just interested to see the muscles on Gronk more than I am, like, you know... Right. Look at Colin Kaepernick. How is he so terrible on the field? Look at those abs. <laughs> right. So I just, I think there's something interesting to how the body issue is taking it in a totally different lane. And I almost wonder like, where does SI go from here besides just continuing to hope that they get enough celebrity personality that people want to tune in and see what they kind of look like almost naked. It's money. They're still selling 10 times more swimsuit editions than they are their average edition on newsstands alone. So uh, for those who may be offended by it, by the way, I didn't ever, I wouldn't start this conversation by saying I have any moral objections to it. I just, can't believe with the other, well, not maybe not other, but with the smut that's available that people still buy this, but they do. And so SI will keep selling. Guys, I, I think I think Adam said something that's really true, and it's kind of based in, in all this. Like, as long as it's making money, it, it'll still be published. 
when we were just chatting about this off mic before we recorded, Adam said something really smart, which was it's eye grabbing on newsstands. He's a hundred percent right. We travel a lot. We go through a lot of airports. I take the subway every day. There's newsstands on every corner in New York. I, I still know when the swimsuit issues out, it's not because Darren Vell's getting on his knee to Kate Upton in the most awkward fashion possible on television. You know, because that is one that they still put front and center on newsstands, man. That still jumps out more than, you know, it's game two of the World Series and look at this play by a shortstop or something like that. It, it's, man, that stuff, uh, it, it grabs your attention. And as long as it's making money, it'll be around. Indeed, it will. And we will be around too next week. Why don't we wrap it up there for this week? Email us, Sparkle Ponies. Email us your show topics to justnotsports at gmail.com. Subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at justnotsports. Let's uh, wrap today's show with some shout outs. I'm going to wrap our guest, Duke legend Jay Williams, uh, one of the most fun basketball players I've ever watched. I remember watching um, college hoops back when I was in school. I graduated in 2001. I love talking to Jay, love his, how revealing and open and honest his book was. Uh, love talking about a sense of style. Uh, I actually feel like we kind of turned our own premise on its head. He's been on a book tour doing his, talking about kind of reliving his whole book and the accident and everything over and over. I think it felt kind of fun to just kind of branch out and talk about, uh, you know, colors of socks and, and pocket handkerchiefs and stuff like that. So uh, shout out to Jay for coming on. Gareth, you got any shout outs? Yeah, this is an important one, guys. Uh, shout out to John McGrew who has done the music for this podcast from episode one, who just became a father for the first time. Um, Congratulations to heat Donovan. Michael McGrew was born this week. So congratulations to he and his wife. Uh, Really happy for them. Uh, There's another young hipster kid running around Brooklyn and Adam, we can't get enough of those. Not nearly enough. You know, I love tight jeans on men. Yeah, man. Uh, I had Wiley run around this week with some drop cross sweatpants at 16 months, pushing a pink, uh, pushing a pink stroller. Cutest kid around, man. That boy, uh, he's going places. <laughs> but yeah, so in all seriousness, uh, shout outs to John McGrew and his growing family. Really, really happy for you guys. Uh, I don't have anyone in particular outside of the, uh, the fine human beings that I do this podcast with. Um, I know um, during the week, the process uh, and the hard work that Brad puts together uh, as our fearless leader uh, or Leonardo of the group, when I'm talking about Ninja Turtles, not the artist, Gareth. Uh, I picked up on that one right away. uh, Gareth, for bringing a level of intellect and um, bizarreness um, to this podcast <laughs> that I appreciate. Ahead, I mean that word creepy, in the most creepy. lovable way. Um, Joe, who, though he doesn't like to talk, does contribute a lot off mic. Get a fucking microphone, Joe. Uh, and, of course, to myself. Um, I <laughs> Shout out for myself. I... <laughs> I, I I listen back to the podcast and forget how funny I am. And um, 
that makes me feel good about myself. Well, I, just if I could build on that, I listen to the podcast. Also, don't realize how funny you are. <laughs> Waiting for it. Oh, Waiting for it. Shots well fired. Shots fired. Uh, so beyond that, I would like to say um, shout outs to uh, my boy Uzi, Def Jeff, Little Swanee, Meech, Ron Mack, and other cousin Ron. My other cousin Ron. Love those guys. Thanks for all you do. And in the words of Shaquille O'Neal, booty rappers, stay, stay booty. booty. Stay booty. Stay booty. See you at Bart's pool hall. Stay booty. <laughs> <laughs>